0: Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hello, everybody. Elon here. We've got a special episode of Keeping Carlson for you. It is a preview of our 2019-20 NHL Audio Almanac that Brian and I have been recording and working on for the past like over a month, and we're really excited to share with you the first chapter. Guess what? I'm not here by myself. I Actually, I brought a friend along. It's Brian. Hello, everyone.
1: I am here. And Elon, you haven't yet said keepingcarlson.com slash almanac. If you want more info, if you want to pick up your own copy, uh, we would love it if you supported this project. We've locked ourselves away in our home studios for several months weeks out of the last month recording this thing. Our families haven't seen us. We forget what outside looks like. Haven't eaten. We didn't even sleep. We've probably put about 200 man hours into this almanac in total. And trust us, we think it's good.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, we wouldn't spend so much time if it wasn't. Look look what you're going to get if you purchase this almanac. Basically, 32 chapters, one for every single team in the NHL, just like the one you're about to listen to. And every one is basically an episode of Keeping Carl's where we go through every single player that we think is going to be fantasy relevant on that team. We discuss them in detail. We come up with a projection. Then we get to the goalies. We have a whole running thing throughout the whole almanac where we're ranking all of the goalies as we add new ones to the list. It's a lot of fun. 32 chapters, one per team, plus more goalies. Board at the end. We'll also release more goalies board as a regular episode. But you're going to have to wait for it. If you get the almanac, you'll be able to listen to it early. And there's even more. I'm not even done. There's a spreadsheet where every single projection that we come up with, we put into a spreadsheet. So you'll be able to have that available to you. Plus, it has all of our goalie rankings. Plus, we're going to be updating the spreadsheet if we make any changes as the season approaches. Like Brian. It's been a pleasure talking to you so long for the past week, literally like six hours a day, but I'm really looking forward to being done recording this intro to this episode, so I don't have to talk to you for a while.
1: Ouch. I mean, you're still going to, like, ask me how I'm doing, right? Well, yeah, but over text, okay? This voice, (laughs) because not only have I been talking to you, but then I've been editing. Okay, okay, (laughs) enough. I want to get to it. Remember, uh, in this almanac, we project... 304 skaters, 70 goalies. We're going to keep those projections updated in the spreadsheet for anyone who purchases it by going to keepingcarlson.com slash almanac. And we'll have a changelog there so you'll see what we've updated since recording the almanac. Listen, this is a 30 plus hour audiobook of Elon and I. And also, if you are a masochist, you can also, uh, anyone who buys the almanac, gets access to the raw, unedited recording footage from each chapter. So you can watch uh, the Fracture's slowly appear and grow in Elon and I's friendship.
0: <laughs> okay. Then also last thing I'll say is if you become a patron of Keeping Carlson, if that's something you were interested in doing anyways, then do that first because then you can get 10% off the Almanac. We shared a link with the patrons and the patrons don't only get 10% discount on the Almanac. They also get access to our patron only Facebook group where we're all giving each other fantasy advice. You get access to the Kakupful, the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League open to all patrons. It's going to be a lot of fun. sign up deadline, by the way, September 12th. Also, patron cast. So check it out, keepingcarlson.com slash patron, if you're interested in joining our community, or just you could go grab the almanac directly, keepingcarlson.com slash almanac. But with that, Brian, why don't we just get to the Carolina chapter? I hope you enjoy it. Chapter 1 of the and Carlson 2019-20 NHL Audio Almanac, the Carolina Hurricanes. Brian, the time has come. It's almanac time. Wait a minute. I've got ahead of myself. I've already talked to you. I haven't even introduced you yet. I'm your host, Elon Dubrowski. I'm going to be leading us through this journey, through the entire NHL and with me, to come up with all of the great fantasy analyses along the way and to come up with all the great projections that he has planned. It is the maestro of the matchup, the player projection pundit, the Corsi authority, the Ad drop ace, the IPP, MVP brightcom stand back
1: there's an almanac chapter coming through we are so excited to talk about the Carolina Hurricanes who started off like looking like the hurricanes of past where we thought that they were you know they had this big hype coming into the season they'd made some key changes they had all the pieces in place and we were once again just waiting for it to fall apart and then they they picked it up like it, it nobody was sure from the start but eventually they they got rolling they did the storm surge everybody hated them uh but they did so well they can storm surge all that that whole thing you know how much i hated that
0: you hated the storm surge or you hated people hating on the storm surge i
1: hated people hating it
0: yeah people don't like fun sometimes in hockey it's like anytime a player gives an interview and says something somewhat charismatic they're like whoa what the heck guy and then yeah celebrating after a win terrible but yeah hurricanes were a fun team last year for sure this is a team that like you said Brian every year The hockey hipsters are like, I have a feeling the Carolina Hurricanes might be good. Like, don't like, I don't know. Like, I just have this feeling. And then every year they end up stinking. But usually it's because of terrible goaltending. Finally, last year, they got decent goaltending from Petter Mrazek and Curtis McElhenney, of all people. And yeah, they got into the playoffs. They beat Washington in seven games. They beat the Islanders. They made it to the conference finals before getting creamed by the Bruins. It was a great year. And I'm really excited to talk about them again. We've got a few offseason changes. I think they've gotten better, though. They have got they've picked up the Zingle. They've picked up Haula, uh, Sveshnikov, and Nichas, both a year older. Maybe Nichas makes the team. Uh they've lost like Michael Furland and Curtis McElhanny. B- big whoop, right? They got Reimer in to replace McElhanny. We'll see how that goes. So yeah, we've got a lot to talk about on Carolina. And yeah, I guess we'll just get going here uh you know this is also going to be a preview chapter that we're going to release on our regular keeping carlson feed so yeah i hope that you enjoy this and uh we're going to do our best the plan is we're going to go through every nhl team we're starting with carolina and on each team we're going to go through every single player that we think is going to be fantasy relevant talk them through come up with a projection throw it on the spreadsheet so of course we've got to start with sebastian aho such a huge breakout season for aho just like many were expecting right brian you were big on aho going into the year Yeah, we had the
1: whole Aho versus Eichel debate, and you thought it was ludicrous that Aho could even get in the realm of Eichel. And here
0: we are. Yeah, he was very close. He didn't be, I was still right. Eichel paced for more points than Aho by one or two. By like a a fraction of a point. (laughs) Hey either way but yeah (laughs) next year it's obviously very close uh it's gonna be we'll see what we both come up with for our projections for both of these guys let's talk about aho for now since we're in the carolina chapter he had 83 points in 82 games last year that followed up a 65 point sophomore season which followed up a 49 point rookie season so he's just been going up and up and up i feel like aho's got to be close to a lock to like at least hit 75 next year right like my real question is more along the lines of whether or not you think around 83 is where he'll peak like is that like where we should expect to land with aho for the next few years or are we expecting him to climb climb even higher get into like 90 plus points next season you know like obviously can't hurt that Svechnikov will be better likely take over uh the even strength of power play roles that guys like Furland and Justin Williams were holding down for most of the season I think that should hopefully be an upgrade plus Nino Niederreiter is going to be there for the whole season like I was going to have good players around him it's like it's hard to believe this elite star player was drafted all the way down to 35th overall in 2015 and now look at him I'm asking you Brian if he's more of an 80 point player or a 90 point player but here we are
1: Yeah, well, the one thing you mentioned about Aho for next season is that he has a bit of a different cast of characters around him. And it seems like a a better cast than before. Not that last season was particularly bad, but it's not going to hurt Aho if his line mates uh, improve a little. There's a little more depth amongst them. Uh, The bright side for Aho is that even if they didn't improve or even if they don't, uh, this past season, 2018-19, is proof that Sebastian Ajo can do big things regardless of who's around him. Again, not like it was garbage, but uh, he did a lot himself. Looking at his numbers from this past season, honestly, it's amazing that Ajo even got to 83 points. Usually guys in this point scoring stratosphere have one really high number somewhere amongst their five on five or power play numbers. Like it might be their shooting percentage or their IPP or their on ice shooting percentage. And some of them, by the way, have these high numbers sustainably. Like they repeat it year after year after year because they're elite at being involved in their offense or elite at putting pucks on net or elite at creating. And that's great. But Sebastian Aho had no high numbers amongst his like his percentages. Uh, like, for example, Sebastian Aho's power play shooting percentage, uh, six percent when an average guy shoots like 10 to 12% on the power play, uh, some really good players shoot 15 to 20% because you're getting uh, sweeter opportunities, right? But Aho took 50 power play shots. He scored on three of them, only three power play goals for Sebastian Aho, And his expected goals threat level was not really far off others who are more successful at converting on the power play. If you want to look Way at the other end of the spectrum, Braden Point took one more power play shot and scored 17 more power play goals than Sebastian Ajo. Now, that's not necessarily sustainable, but just to show how far variants can swing from one end to the other. And then uh, moving away from the power play and looking at five on five, Ajo shot only 9%, and his teammates actually shot worse than that to, to tank his on-ice shooting percentage a little bit. But if you want to look at a place where maybe Ajo uh, got... Like his little bit of luck for the season, he did score four times on 12 penalty kill shots on goal. He also scored five times on empty nets. And honestly, those two scoring situations are what helped Ajo's rote goal totals and his shooting percentages get up to reasonably normal 12% on the season. Had Aho not converted in those two situations, we'd be probably talking a very different narrative about Aho right now. One where I'd be pointing out that his difficulties in converting in five-on-five and power play situations. I'd be wondering aloud whether his line mates are partially to blame and saying that he deserved a good deal more than the 17 goals he scored. But we're not having any of that. But that's just just to illustrate how much these percentages can influence the conversation from essentially what would have been the exact same season either way. Uh, anyway, let's look at his line mates for a minute. Uh, Niederreiter arriving in Carolina was such a boon for him, by the way. Even though Sebastian Ajo only played 30 games with Niederreiter, Nino was the teammate on whose goals Ajo picked up the most five-on-five assists, seven on the whole, compared to just four assists on each of Tara Vinen and Furlan's goals in an entire season. So great thing for Aho that Nita Ryder arrived. They seem to have some real chemistry. So where does this leave us for 2019-20? Well, I'm certainly bought into Aho as a 30-goal scorer, but he's going to need to find more success in more common situations than on the penalty kill, than empty net goals, to be able to get back up to 30 goals. Uh, and I think he will. One question I've got, um, specifically about his penalty kill points, his shorthanded points, can he be a Brad Marchand type where this penalty kill why do I keep calling penalty kill? His shorthanded goal scoring is repeatable or was this like a one-off performance from Aho, uh, shorthanded? So that's something to watch, uh, for next season. A fun little storyline. If you're in a league that counts shorthanded points, but regardless, I fully expect Sebastian Aho to be a, a point per game player again next season, whether it's with friendlier variants on the usual, usual shooting percentages or more silly friendly variants in the outlier ones. I see. Potential for 90 points, too, for Ajo, with Nino by his side full-time. Seemed like a better fit as a line mate than Tara Vinan, but that 90 is more talking upside and not necessarily what's likeliest. So for Sebastian Ajo in 2019-20, I'm going to stick with a point-per-game pace, 82.
0: Nice. Okay, I'm putting it in the spreadsheet. Brian projects 82 points. Uh, you know what, Brian? Brian. I feel like I was thinking to myself as we got into the almanac, should I be more like agreeing with you or more arguing with, with you than last year? Because you, usually you know what you're talking about. Saying that Aho's not going to improve, I guess you're basing that on the fact that he had some luck in terms of these like shorthanded and empty net goals that you think might not be repeatable. But on the other hand, you said that his numbers were maybe even like things that could improve in terms of some of those shooting percentages. So I kind of feel like I'd love to give him a little more, you know, just for fun, put me down for, for 83. So there we go. I'm I'm one point higher than you on Sebastian Ajo, but there we go. We've got our first projections in the spreadsheet. We should point out, by the way, that we have a new mechanism for the Almanac this year. Each of us, Brian and I, are going to get a volatility token Per team, a volatility marker, I guess. So we've had some people ask us, like, what if you have a projection where, like, you're actually not sure at all? Like, just by putting the number down, there's no way to actually indicate if this is like a number we're confident in or a number that we're just like, "Ah, I'm throwing down a number. I have no idea. So we said each of us get one volatility marker per team where we could throw it on a player to basically say, honestly, I don't really know. This is the number I've come up with, Brian. I assume you're not going to be using your Carolina volatility marker on Sebastian Ajo, right?
1: What a waste that would be. Sebastian Ajo's floor is high, right? I need to, I need to save it for someone who's got a low floor and a high ceiling. And Sebastian Ajo's floor is not nearly uh, far enough beneath his ceiling to, to justify using it.
0: Yeah, so we'll save it for later. And uh, we've got another fun mechanism coming for goalies. So we'll get to that in a little while as well. Trying to have some fun here on the Almanac, a few little games. All right, let's go next to Toivo Teravainen. Sorry. Tavo, Teravinen. We've been corrected before. Brian, I wonder how many Almanac names we will uh, mispronounce throughout. I'm hoping for zero. I think if we correct ourselves, it's okay. But let's try to go zero mispronunciation. So people in the chat room, we're counting on you. You gotta let us know if we mess any of these up. But Teravinen, man, he had a great season as well. He joined Ajo as the second Hurricane to join the 75-point club for the first time last season. 76 points in 82 games for Teravinen, beating out his 64 in 82 games in 2017-18. My big question for Tavo is that he was split up with aho at the end of the season if you recall it was that aho Rider justin williams line that was all the rage at the end of the season you know during the fantasy playoffs when we were paying attention the most and of course uh it didn't really matter for a Vinan. even though he was bumped from playing with aho he still ended the season with 21 points in his final 20 games so maybe it doesn't matter who he plays with so my big question to you brian is if there's a chance that terrifying doesn't play with aho next season Is that even a concern for you or is he going to be like a 75 plus point guy no matter who joins him in the top six? Kind of like a Matthew Kachuk type where you know he's going to get his points no matter whether he's on the top line or the second line because he's on the top power play and he's great on his own. So the
1: thing about Teravinen is that not only did Aho make him better, but Aho himself was also marginally better without Taravainen than he was with him, which adds to the argument for having Taravainen continue to play away from Sebastian Aho. But as you mentioned, Elon, Taravainen was still largely okay when playing away from Aho, thanks to a continued power play role and some scoring runs from new linemates Jordan Stahl and uh, and Andrei Svechnikov towards the end of the year. I will give Taravainen... Uh, that the scoring he did get last season came in a sustainable way at five on five, where he picked up 47 of his 76 points. And then he had 24 power play points, a small handful of which were probably due to high percentages. Uh, and then he had another five short handed points wreaking havoc on other teams, power play units with Sebastian Ajo. Again, I'm looking forward to seeing whether those two can do that sustainably year after year while killing penalties just strike fear in the hearts of their power playing opponents that said as deep as Carolina appears if they do put Svechnikov and Niederreiter say up on the top line with Ajo that could leave teravinen out in the cold to some extent he'd be looking at Nichas or Jordan Stahl as a centerman with maybe Ryan Dezingle filling out the line which isn't awful right but it doesn't inspire the same confidence for another 75 points that playing up with Aho could. And we also saw a subtle shift in Nino taking more opportunities to set up his line mates rather than shoot. Last season, he was good at that, but I'm not sure I'd want it to persist. I, I, like, I don't want him to focus on setting up teammates if Aho isn't the one he's setting up, or even Svechnikov. So yeah, does, does Teravainen, if he lands on the second line, get that Matthew Kachuk edit like you asked? I like... Teravainen, but being moved to the second line is just a little too concerning for me, specifically after looking at how he is affected when he doesn't get to play with Aho, And again, it's not so far out of the question, right? In 2018-19, uh, Teravainen was already playing away from Aho at five on five for over half of his minute So so this isn't a brand new situation. The hurricanes have already been playing with this. Um so I'm going to guess for that reason that Teravinen does not maintain last year's numbers and heads back down into the sixties. I'd put sixty five as my lowest like semi-comfortable number, uh, but I will give Teravainen, a few more points than that as a 25-year-old who still could be getting better himself and still could land on the top line against what I'm assuming right here, right now. So for that reason, I am going to project uh, Tevo Teravainen at 68 points.
0: Okay, 68. So a bit of a downturn, and you're saying it's mainly because you're concerned about those line mates. Yeah, like I have a feeling that maybe things will jump around a little bit. I do love the idea of, you know, like Teravainen, Aho and like Svechnikov being on that top line that would be great but then of course there's Nino rider who seemed to play well with Aho last year so it's going to be interesting to see how things shake out you're saying 68 uh I don't know okay give me 70 you go 68 right now we're not disagreeing by too much but uh, it's fun to just be a little bit off so we can see who was closer at the end of the year if you had to bet if it's going to be higher or lower than 68 which way would you go for Tara in? oh
1: man I think I'd lean you know it all depends on that top line deployment like I've seen uh Uh, you know, a a lineup projection where Teravainen is playing on the top line with Aho and Niederreiter. If he's there over 70 is easy for me to say, but like I said, on the second line, you might suddenly find yourself kind of out of depth pretty quickly. If you've got Aho, Niederreiter and Svechnikov all playing on the top line, which might not happen because Niederreiter and Svechnikov can both play the left side. Although I think Niederreiter has flipped sides before in his career. Uh, It. There's so many different permutations of what can happen, which is why I'm sort of like 68 is a bit of a hedge where I'm I guess I'm already betting that he he gets under 70 just by uh, going with that projection.
0: Okay, that's fair. So let's move on now to Nino Niederreiter. Oh, yeah, you're not using a volatility marker. I'll just assume you're not using it unless you say you're using it. Okay, I'm not going to use it on Terrifying either. He seems like a pretty safe bet for around 70, you know, 65 to 70 one way or the other. Nino Niederreiter. Okay, I'm really excited to see what Niederreiter could do with a full season on the Canes, especially if he could stick on the top line and power play with Aho and company like he did after arriving in that bananas trade from Minnesota for Victor Rask. Midway through the season, like insane that Carolina got him for such a cheap price. Nino was actually looking like he was on the verge of breaking out like a couple years ago, back in 2016, 17, Ryder put up 25 goals and 57 points for the wild, but he followed that up with a stinker, only 32 points in 63 games the next season. And he was looking just as bad last season. He only had 23 points in 46 games before getting traded, but. After the trade, he quickly got to work on making Paul Fenton look like a dum-dum as he scored 14 goals and 30 points in 36 games on Carolina. That's a 68-point pace while he was on the Canes. I do need to point out, though, that this Torrid run came to a complete halt in the playoffs. He was only able to manage four points in 15 games versus the Caps, Islanders, and Bruins. Zero power play points. So something really fell apart there. I guess he got off the Ajo line. He was actually playing with Ajo and or Niederreiter for most of the playoff run. And, like, to be fair, neither Ajo or Niederreiter scored in the playoffs at the pace, like, close to what they were doing in the regular season. But also their production was still heads and shoulders ahead of Niederreiter, who was just left out completely, it seems. So, Brian, what do we have here? Like, Niederreiter has shown us glimpses of high upside, but he also has a big sample size of mediocrity where he's barely fantasy relevant. And while I'm tempted to, like, you know, I'd love to just say, let's throw out all those Minnesota numbers. Let's just look at what he did in Carolina then I don't know what to do about this playoff run. Like, sure, it was a small sample size, but so was the only 36 games he played on Carolina in the regular season. So I'm very interested to see where you're going to go with Niederreiter. I wonder if this is a place where we have to use our first volatility marker.
1: Well, I, I have no idea what your plans are. I'm still gonna keep mine in my pocket for Nita Ryder because I feel pretty comfortable about where he's going to land, uh, or roughly where he's going to land. And I don't think it's going to be too far from Teravinen, But first, let's review uh, Minnesota Nita Ryder versus Carolina Nita Ryder, just to really see what kind of player Nita Rider is and what changed between those two situations after Nino was traded to the hurricane. So first at five on five, uh, Nita Rider got two and a half more minutes as a hurricane. Uh, and he went from the third line to first line deployment. Uh, He also went from a revolving door of line mates to having Sebastian Ajo and Justin Williams on his line. He increased his shot attempt output by about 40%. His low shooting percentage rebounded. So did his IPP. He was more threatening in his shot selection. So like, this is a big yay, right? Carolina unleashed Nita Ryder. And that was reason enough for him to, to bump up his numbers. Like he did the work right? This is not just him getting lucky in a new situation. Look, Minnesota had buried Nita Ryder for whatever reason. One, one thought I had was, it because, was because he had an 881 on ice save percentage, which just means, you know, like if you're on the ice, when so many goals are going in against you, you might sort of get marked by your coach, fairly or not, as being somebody who's just like always in the wrong place at the wrong time. So I wonder if that was it, or maybe... In Minnesota it was the same reason he fell out of favor with his first NHL club. Remember, he was with the New York Islanders and uh, he began his career there playing 10 minutes a night and picking up just three points and in, in 64 games over two years. Like, that's crazy that Nino Niederreiter went from there and is now here. Like, I'm pretty sure it was more the Islanders fault and more the Wilds fault that Niederreiter wasn't getting the, the best deployment for him. I'm just keeping this in the back of my mind. It is something to remember about his career, if not something to be concerned about, but just something to be impressed about. Uh, anyway, Rider uh, in Carolina was finally treated like the top sixer that he is, let alone top liner for the first time in his seven-year career. And it was nice to see him take full advantage of it. We didn't just see Niederreiter riding coattails. We saw him be more offensively engaged and dangerous, which was very exciting. And my guess is that Rider continues to get that top-line treatment in 2019-20. So I'm going to buy him pretty heavy on him and say he's going to have close to 70 points. I'm just a little on the fence about whether I want to take the over or under on that. I think I'm going to take the under just because of all the years where Niederreiter's is middled and disappointed. I don't know if that's fair to him. Again, I said it's, it was probably more his team's and coach's fault than his own, uh, but that's just where my head is at. So I'm going to say uh, I'm going to have Niederreiter in a dead heat with Tara with 68 points.
0: Oh boy, Brian! Uh, I like your gumption there, but I think this is going to be one of the first picks where we disagree a little bit. I I don't.
1: That's exciting because I don't even know if you're going to go way above or way below me.
0: (laughs) Ninety points. What? No, I'm kidding. i like he had a good run for sure but his lineup placement isn't certain he wasn't that great in the playoffs and he hasn't ever really been that great in his career like that would be a huge career year for nita rider hitting 68 points i feel like even hitting 60 would be great that would be a career year for him and i'm a lot more comfortable going there give me 60 for nita rider i might have even said like 58 before you got so excited about him like i feel like yeah that Don't would let me sway you Well, okay, I'll stick at 60 for now. But we should mention, by the way, a couple things about these projections. First of all, we had a question in the chat room. Brian, do you have a model that you're using to come up with these numbers? Like how do you come up with 68 points for Nita writer?
1: Well, as you would have uh, heard if you listened to our introduction chapter, which I guess we're releasing this preview chapter before that's even out. So, you know, there there's some people who use their models Uh, They, you know, they plug it, they take the data that's important to them, they weight it accordingly, they run it through their, their mathematical model, and it spits out a number. And then there's people, I think there's still people who just like look at a player and it's like, I am My gut says this, and we're sort of a hybrid of the two. So we look at all the numbers, uh, we run them through our brains, and then we send them to our guts to check if they make sense or not. And then you know maybe the number bounces back and forth between gut and brain a few more times, uh, but essentially it's a it's a brain informed gut number. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, I think that makes sense. So you're taking the data, then you're running it through your gut to coming out to come up with a final number. My way is I listen to all of your analysis <laughs> and then I run that through my gut uh, along with his previous season numbers and maybe not as deep of an analysis since I have your analysis to go with. Uh, you know, what, Brian, put me down at fifty eight you know i I'm thing I'm, I'm here. I don't know. I don't love Niederreiter as much as you do. I need to see him put up a full season above a sixty point pace before I'm ready to go anywhere near the 70 that you're approaching. Uh, I don't know maybe I'll I have to think about if I'm going to use the volatility marker. I don't think so actually. I'm pretty confident that actually that Niederreiter is going to make you look a little bad next year, so we'll see. but yeah, obviously you'll be uh, drafting him in your drafts because I have a feeling he'll fall, you'll be able to get him, especially if you expect him to produce at that pace. How about well, net? Oh go ahead.
1: yeah he's, well he'll, he'll be making one of us look bad.
0: Uh, I guess so. Well, maybe he'll be right in the middle, 63 points. And then we'll be like, okay, I guess we were both kind of right. All right, so next, let's talk about Andre Svechnikov. Very excited to talk about him going into his sophomore season. He didn't have the rookie season we were expecting. But to be fair, he was 18 years old for a huge chunk of that season. And he spent the majority of the year in the bottom six playing with guys like Jordan Martinuk, Lucas Walmark, and Brock McGinn. Uh, he averaged only 14 minutes and 39 seconds per game. He was relegated to the second power play. So, I mean, he ended up with a 37-point pace what could he have done right with that deployment and call me crazy i don't think the 2018 second overall pick will see that deployment again until maybe he's like 35 years old and like over the hill he could only be going up more ice time better line mates like i mentioned in the ajo section justin williams may be retiring we still don't know michael Ferland is gone so that's two top six spots and a top power play spot that i feel like svechnikov should be able to grab a hold of if not at the start of the year then hopefully like pretty quickly and so let's say you know you've got an Aho, Teravine, and Niederreiter they're locks in the top six and top power play who's beating out Sveshnikov for the other spots like Dezingle, Haula, Jordan Stahl, Nietzsche, like come on you got to give Sveshnikov a shot in the top six and the top power play right so okay say Sveshnikov does get the break that I'm expecting should we just repeat last year we both projected 50 points for him in his rookie season then we were off by 13 points so right? he ended up with 37 should we repeat our 50 point projections for him again next year or do we want to be bold and go higher now that he's going to start the year as a 19-year-old instead of an 18-year-old. And by the way, Brian, as a side note, I don't think we ever did this. Svech, as a lot of people call Svechnikov, that kind of rhymes with Kvech. That could be like a good episode title, like Kvechnikov. I don't know. I'll let you work. You usually come up with the episode titles. I wanted to throw that out there. But yeah, let's hear your thoughts on Andrei Svechnikov.
1: Well, for anyone who owned him last year, he was very much more like Andrei Kvechnikov with the funny trajectory that he took last year that must have left his owners confused and complaining. If you look at Svechnikov's time on ice, you know, as a as, as sort of a proxy for how excited you could get about his deployment and what you could expect from him, it peaked in November, December, before settling into middle six territory the rest of the season. But I'm totally with you that Svechnikov seems very poised to grab one of the available top six and top power play spots and can hopefully run with that. You made the point several times, Elon. We need to keep in mind Svechnikov is still a young guy. Uh, He was born in the year 2000. Do you remember the Conan voice for that? I put in my notes that I won.
0: Year 2000.
1: Thanks. That's when uh, Svechnikov was born. Uh, so this is officially his age 19 season coming up. And look, 37 points in an 18 year old season for, for Svechnikov is nothing to Kvechnikov about. It's not anything for him to hang his head over. It's not the 60 plus points that Skinner, McKinnon, Liney had in their 18 year old seasons. But look, it's a year under his belt. Playing almost, ha- putting up almost a half point per game with third-line minutes, which, by the way, those other three I just named had better than third-line minutes. Uh, and it's a step along the way to what we still expect to be some real fantasy relevance. And the good signs are there beyond the point scoring for Svechnikov. couple shots per game, good expected goals number. He was top three amongst Carolina forwards in so many offensive rate stats. So uh, this brings us to how high can Svechnikov go this year, Only three 19-year-old sophomores have cleared 55 points, and each of them had actually already done his 18-year-olds. It's Lainey, Skinner, and McKinnon again. So I don't want to give the impression that 55 points is going to be automatic for for Sveshnikov, but I'm going to project him just about there and wonder if I might even be conservative compared to others. Because going into last season, some people were were saying, oh, yeah, he's ready, 25-30 goal scorer, boom. Uh, So I wonder if those people have cooled a little bit in his sophomore year or are ready to just like elevate and say, yeah, he could have done that with top six minutes and he's even better this year. Um, So I'm going to land around 55 points. And by the way, funds Svetlakov bonus. He hits. He had 123 hits last season, so keep that in mind for some added value in bangers leagues, especially with him about to get or expected to get more minutes in 2019-20. And Elon, here's the big moment you've been waiting for. I am placing my volatility marker on Andrei Svechnikov because he has like his floor, even if he plays on the second line in top power play there's still a path to 45 for him, right? Like it could be a disappointing season. If he doesn't even hit the top power play, it could be a really disappointing season. I don't see how that's possible, but it could happen. Uh, And then uh, like his ceiling is definitely higher than 55 points, right? If he does pop 25 or 30 goals in, it's easy to imagine he gets another 25, 30 assists on top of that to near near 60 points, maybe break it. So uh, I am putting my volatility marker uh, essentially saying, I don't know, like, or not that I don't know. I have a feeling where Svetlakov will land, but the worst case scenario is so far from the best case scenario uh, in terms of compared relative to the other players on Carolina.
0: Yeah, uh, Brian, it's hard to argue with you there. Like, I think that it makes sense to hedge here. Give Svechnikov a projection and then put the volatility marker on him saying it's really hard to know. I'm going to go a bit higher than you even. Give me, I, if I had Nino Niederreiter for 58, I like Svechnikov better than Niederreiter. So give me 59 for Svechnikov. I think I'm also going to use my volatility marker. I guess we have till the end of the chapter to change our mind if another player comes up that we think is even more volatile than Svechnikov. But yeah, he's a tough guy to project. I should also point out, by the way, all these point projections that we're coming up with, Those are pace projections right so if a player gets injured we're not taking that into account we're not trying to come up with how many games played we expect the player to have we're saying if they were to play 82 games basically at the end of the year we're going to take the number of points divide by their number of games multiply by 82 that's the number that we're trying to project here so yeah not trying to project injuries because that's too hard but yeah i like sveshnikov a lot i think he's going to be in a much better situation i think he has really high upside so i'll put 59 because i think he's even gonna be better than niederreiter maybe brian we can make a side bet sveshnikov versus niederreiter do you want, do you want to do that right now
1: yeah niederreiter
0: Okay, I'll take Sveshnikov. Boom, I just made some money. We'll, we'll discuss the details later. Okay. I'm sure
1: we'll very much remember to account for this bet whenever the, the results are in. Okay, listeners, please keep track of this. <laughs> We've uh, other- tried that tech before. We not- suck at keeping track of our own bets. Our listeners
0: are also not doing it for us okay but this is the almanac this is different right like people spent money to get this almanac this is chapter one so if you're listening to the almanac right now just take out a little notepad keep track for us okay maybe we can also do this ourselves we don't have to be so lazy okay so we're done with the carolina forwards that we think will for sure be fantasy relevant let's go to some other forwards that i'm interested to get your thoughts on ryan dezingle of course needs to come up next he put up 56 points last season between the sens and columbus but really that point total is more misleading than anything i gotta say that's not the real story of ryan dezingle's season last year Real story is that he put up 44 points in 57 games with Ottawa, where he played almost exclusively with Matt Duchesne. And then he fell down to earth in a big way in Columbus, notching only 12 points in 21 games and even getting healthy scratched a couple of times. So, uh you know, still 12 points in 21 games isn't nothing. That's a 47 point pace. Maybe that's the kind of pace we could expect him to keep up in Carolina. Like I said, there are a couple top, top six spots open, like still up for grabs. So perhaps it's not the most unlikely possibility that the Zingle grabs one of them and ends up as like a solid. 50 point guy no way we go higher than that though right like is Ryan freaking DeZingle. I know he had that great stretch in Ottawa but I'm gonna give most of the credit to Matt DeShane there
1: you can I don't think he'd be completely wrong I also don't want to take too much away from Ryan Dzingel, who is a legit you know I want to say top six I think he can be a top six NHL forward. He's at least proven himself to be a top nine NHL forward. That Columbus, uh, they just weren't sure what to do with him, I don't think. When Dzingle moved from Ottawa to Columbus, he lost three and a half minutes of time on ice per game, including nearly all of his power play time. Funny enough, though, Duchesne stayed his most common linemate as they both went to Columbus, um, but Dzingle just didn't get the same usage there than he did in Ottawa. So he wasn't able to show his stuff quite as much. Um, but when Dzingel was on the ice, he didn't do himself any favors. His shot rates fell up five on five, and they weren't very high to begin with. And if Dzingel isn't pulling the trigger, uh, he's probably not doing much else. He's a guy who's built a reputation as a finisher, one who is selective enough with his shots to hold a higher than most shooting percentage. uh shoots around 15% in his career, which means he needs a very good feeder to play with right he needs to be the shooter on his line and he needs someone to feed him and I'm not sure how many uh setup men are going to be available for Dezingle if he doesn't land on the top line with Aho. I think the upside is there if he does somehow find his way to the top line if Carolina wants to spread out their offense in a way where he does land on the top line but listen I don't think it's terribly likely that that, that happens so I'm gonna hold uh, Dezingle to about 50 points 25 goals 25 assists and Saying that out loud makes it feel high.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, I have him for a little lower, maybe like 47, 45 to 50, I would say. But if you want to stick with 50, you're a, you know, you're a Sens fan at heart. So of course you got to cheer for your your old boys. But uh, yeah, I, I find it hard to believe that single is going to be especially fantasy relevant. He'll, he'll definitely be on my watch list if he doesn't get drafted. But I don't, I'm not reaching for him in fantasy drafts, that's for sure. I don't think what he did last year in Ottawa is anything close to what we can expect uh, moving forward on a much more stacked Carolina team uh okay next eric howla i wanted to bring up i got a couple guys here that like i don't even know eric howla jordan stall uh knee chess. that's how we'll end our forwards let's start with howla uh, he missed most of last season with a knee injury before in 2017-18 he put up 55 points in 76 games for vegas centering that second line with perron and neil he had a really nice breakout season before that, he had never cracked 35 points in Minnesota. But to be fair, he was seeing less than, like, 14 minutes per game versus the over 17 he saw in Vegas. Then last year, of course, he had that injury, so we didn't really get to see if he'd be able to follow it up. Uh, now Halla goes to Carolina. Uh, do you think he can crack the top six? Maybe center a second line with Tara Vine and the Zingle, uh, you know, let's say if, if Nino Niederreiter, Svechnikov and Aho are on the top line, I think that would be a great situation for Haula. He'll definitely have some competition though. Like Nichas, like we've said, is coming up. Jordan Stahl is still in the picture. There's a lot of people vying for that second line center spot. The more I talk about him, the more I think he'll probably spend most of the season in the bottom six and not be fantasy relevant. Maybe I shouldn't have even brought Howla up in the almanac. He seems like a nice depth piece for the the Hurricanes. Uh, to have acquired but from what I recall from episode 238 when we talked about him quickly yet uh, you're not especially high on him for next season right and I guess I shouldn't be either
1: yeah Haula feels very bottom six if you look at him as a centerman on a depth chart he seems to be someone who would be behind Nietzsche's and Stahl of course it depends on Nietzsche's camp but I I mean we're already sort of tipping our hand I'm high on him uh to even stay in the top nine that means Haula probably needs to move to the wing, which he's done before. So it's possible that he finds a home in the top nine, but I still don't really expect him to be one of the main players in Carolina's offense. And remember that Howla's one good season production-wise, where he had a 59-point pace with Vegas uh, in 2017-18, that came by way of 18 power play points, which I certainly do not expect Howla to get near in Carolina. So in my books, uh, he's not relevant. I have him actually getting as low as 30.
0: Okay. I'll agree. I'll just say 30 and let's move on. Let's not, not spend too much time on Eric Haula. Let's go to Jordan Stahl. He, he's an interesting guy to me. Like we had a question on our Facebook group a couple of months back asking who's like the streakiest player in the league. And everyone had lots of fun ideas. And I, I'm surprised actually no one ended up coming up with Jordan Stahl because the more I think about it, I think he might be the answer. He'll go through stretches where he's not worth rostering in fantasy at all. And then all of a sudden he'll become a must own for a stretch. Like take last season, for example, he started ice cold, only 11 points in his first 29 games. Then he missed some time with a concussion. But then when he came back, he ended the year centering the second line with Svechnikov and Tara Vinen, and he produced 17 points in his final 21 games. He was like a fantasy hockey playoffs MVP. And it's funny because, like, I feel like with Stahl's streakiness, it almost makes him easier to project for this kind of exercise. Because even though he's up and down every single year, he always seems to end up with around 46 to 49 point pace. That's what he's been in the past four seasons. So it seems like it would be crazy to go any higher. I guess, if anything, we need to decide if we should finally expect a drop with some of these other centers in the mix. That could maybe give him a run for his money going into his age 31 season.
1: It's hard to imagine a Jordan Stahl not in the top six because of how much he can offer both ends of the ice. Right. He has these point streaks where he like he can be part of an offensive run. But he's also, of course, one of the the better defensively responsible centermen across the league. So, again, hard to imagine Jordan Stahl out of the top six. But with Nietzsche looking ready. It's also hard to imagine Jordan Stahl in the top six in Carolina. So I feel more and more as we go through Carolina that they're going to try and run some kind of top nine where they have Stahl and Nichos getting roughly equal minutes. Um, but that means if Nichos is up to the task of being a more offensive center, uh, that Stahl is going to be asked to center a checking line that can occasionally put a few pucks on net, maybe similar to the Stahl, Justin Williams, Warren Fogle line that uh, that Carolina was running before uh, before one of them got injured last year. So I'm going to go on the low end of the 46, 49 point range that Saul's found himself in a lot, because uh, finally for the first time in forever, Carolina has some center depth and Jordan Stahl is officially their third, most offensively inclined centerman. If Nietzsche takes the step forward, I believe he can. So uh, I'm going to keep Stahl in the range he's found himself in the past few seasons, but on the lower side of it, which is 46 points
0: okay i'll I'll even go 45 yeah i could see him going lower this might be the year he finally slows down but keep him in mind always because once he starts getting some points i'd pick him up out of free agency in your fantasy leagues because he tends to go and run hot for a while especially if he gets in a good situation and brian i feel like i did this out of order because we've been mentioning this nichas character over the last couple of players and we haven't even talked about him yet so finally let's talk about martin nichas another center who could challenge for maybe even that line two center job we we've got to talk about this guy he only played seven games last year but as likely a bet to make the team as a 20 year old and maybe do some damage next year as a rookie as as you know Brian, prospects are generally our strong suit so for some of these rookies that are going to be coming up in the almanac where we don't have a lot of an nhl sample size for i've been looking around the internet trying to find different people's takes i found cam robinson in a dauber hockey ramblings did a write-up about martin nichas which i think i'm going to refer to here i uh, can't point out that Nichas's 52 points in 64 regular season games with charlotte of the ahl last season are second only to miko ranton in 60 the in 52 games by an under-20 skater in the last decade of NHL action. So Nietzsche's had himself a very good year. Might not look like it with 52 points in 64 games, but again, that makes him second in under-20 skaters in the last decade. It's amazing. And then Cam said Nietzsche's is the heir to the second-line center gig on an up-and-coming hurricane squad. Speaking with someone close to the organization earlier this year, wow, Cam had some uh, inside knowledge. Uh, they felt the brass had earmarked Nietzsche's and Andrei Svechnikov as a pair to supplement Sebastian Aho and Toybo Teravainen. If indeed that ends up being the case niches will be feeding a very real likely 30 plus goal threat and take secondary defensive pairs a juicy proposition in fantasy uh though then cam pointed out that it might be hard for him to get on the power play that might take some time so cam went and projected 30 points and I'm not one to argue with Cam, but also I got to say, I really do like that and comparable. So he is a, a tasty option. We have decided that we won't be using volatility markers for rookies. They're like inherently volatile. So there's no point wasting them there. But Brian, what do you think about Nietzsche for next season? you think he could do something?
1: I think he can do something. I'm, I'm really looking forward and Camp is going to tell us a lot. So, I mean, you hear our excitement about him. It doesn't mean to run out and reach for him in your draft. It means like to have him uh, on your list. Know where he is. Know about the depth of your draft. Have him on your watch list. This is a guy who could like who could make an impact in nineteen twenty, and I think he's set up to do it. As you mentioned, Elon, he was uh, the youngest player on AHL on Car- Carolina's AHL affiliate in Charlotte, uh, and in Charlotte. Uh, despite being the youngest player, he was second on the team in points per game and was regularly involved in their playoff run that ended with a Calder Cup. And that run actually helped supply me with a steady helping of Nichas GIFs on Twitter, Uh, That showed me how good he looked and how excited I could be about him getting to the NHL. So if Nietzsche does get to the second line center position, I find it really hard to think he only manages 30 points. I think that projection would be more likely to assume that Nietzsche ends up shuffling between the NHL or AHL. I also don't know if if he'll stick in the NHL playing a bottom six role, if that's really uh, purposeful or meaningful for his development. Um, But I, I need to make my bet now that I don't think he's going to be shuffling back and forth between the bigs and the littles. Uh, Nichas is going to be 21 years old in January and under 21 centermen who contribute don't grow on trees. Right. And I think Nichas should be good for close to a half point per game. So I'm going to give him that. And like one more for good luck. So 42 points is where I'm projecting Martin Nietzsche. That's
0: nice. Yeah, I'll go around there. I'll say 40. Uh, Obviously, he would have a volatility marker for sure, right? Like there's upside or more. It depends on where he lands in the lineup. But clearly someone with upside. Carolina, looking pretty good next year. And uh, now I guess we can go to the defense.
1: Yeah, sure. You say he would have a marker, but all no rookies are getting it, right? All rookies are volatile. We should know this by now. They have super low floors and somewhat high ceilings. So uh, so it goes without saying. We don't, need to, we don't need to put a marker to let people know to be concerned about that bit of it.
0: Yeah, I mean, there are some rookies that you could be more confident in. You know, like the Jack Hughes, Capo Caco, like maybe Kale McCarr, like people who like, we know are going to get the good deployment. But yeah, someone like Nietzsche, we don't even know if he's going to crack the team. We don't know if he's going to make it in the top six. You just wait for the Colorado chapter, and I'll tell you
1: how, how confident I am that Cal McCarr gets that deployment that you uh, yeah. think is, is, is certain
0: that to, for him to get. I think it is. Well, we'll see what you say. We'll get to Colorado actually in a long time. I think we're doing the Central <laughs> Division last. By the way, if anyone's curious why we start with Carolina, start with the Metropolitan Division. We're going by division, so we're going to go through the Metro to start the almanac off. Uh, by, by the way, it's Cal McCarr, not Cal. So I hope I won't have to correct you when we get to Colorado. Leafy Greens. Okay, so let's go to the defense on Carolina. So we got Dougie Hamilton. He did it again. Damn you, Dougie, you did it again what is with this guy being quiet in the first half of the season and then catching fire at the end like how is this something he consistently keeps doing we were super optimistic about Hamilton coming to Carolina from Calgary we thought he'd easily supplant Justin Falk from the top power play and we both like confidently projected him for 55 point pace last year in the Almanac you Brian you even went 56 just to express some extra love for Dougie Hamilton and boy did we look dumb (laughs) Dougie saw his lowest percentage of power play time of his career last year and he delivered a measly 24 points through 62 Games uh to start the season. That's a 32-point pace for like three quarters of the season. But then, like just as maybe people were starting to write him off, starting to give up on him, Hamilton turned into like a fancy playoff MVP. He had eight goals and seven assists in his final 20 games to go along with 70 shots on goal in that span. So he was just a killer at the end of the season. So now, like here, here we are again. Here we go again. On one hand, Hamilton clearly has a ton of potential as even like in a down year even though he only had 39 points overall last year he was still pretty valuable in multi-category leagues cuz you know he has all those other things that he benefits from uh, like 18 goals like 259 shots 160 hits like he helps you in a lot of categories plus like he's shown us potential to put up points like a top defenseman he just can't do it consistently but maybe next year will be the year that he finally does it like At the same time, he also started to look like someone that you can't feel super comfortable depending on because you never know which version of Dougie Hamilton you're going to get. So, Brent, could you break down somehow like exactly what happened to Hamilton last season? Like, why was he producing so little for the first three quarters? And then what changed at the end there? And like, which Hamilton are you expecting to see come out of the gate next year?
1: We're used to the Dougie Hamilton edit where he begins the year on the second power play. And then we all scream and shout that he would be so much better than the guy on the top power play. Then Hamilton gets up there, pops a few points to add to whatever he's collected at five on five. And that gets his pace up to the 45, 50 point neighborhood. But that didn't happen in 2018, 19. Well, uh, sorry, the power play part specifically didn't happen because Carolina had remarkably rigid top power play and second power play units for the whole year. And Dougie was on the second power play unit, full stop. And as Dougie tends to do though, he, he kept himself afloat by way of his even strength production. But yeah, he was missing that moment in the season, 50 games in, where they're like, oh yeah, Dougie, how about you take a couple turns and then they can't take him off again? Um also, Elon, it wasn't quite the case that Hamilton only picked up his game in the last 20 games of the year. He'd actually picked up 14 points in the 24 games prior to that run that you mentioned. Uh, that gave him a 54-point pace over half a season. 15 goals, 14 assists, 29 points in 44 games once the calendar flipped to 2019. So what changed when the calendar changed? Honestly, it was a tale of two shooting percentages for Dougie Hamilton. Over his first 38 games, he took 126 shots, scored on three of them, For a 2.5% shooting percentage, in his next 44, Hamilton took 133 shots, so just 7 more shots, and scored on... 15 of them scored 12 more goals for a 12% shooting percentage. So you average out his whole season and Hamilton shot about the way you do expect him to based on his career history, similar shot rates about three per game and converting in the six to 7% range to finish with about 18 goals. Uh, you see the same effect in Hamilton's on ice shooting percentage too. His team went from shooting four and a half percent with him on the ice with it, which is dreadful to over 9%, which is much more reasonable and realistic. So his teammates, or the, the the success of his whole on-ice team more than doubled um so Neither half, the first or the second, saw a sustainable story for Dougie Hamilton's production, but both halves did see a Hamilton that was alive and well, just varied on whether he was being over or under-rewarded for it. So do I think Hamilton's final number 40 points last season reasonably depicts what we can expect if he continues to be stuck on a decidedly second-rate power play unit? Um, Is there hope that he can supplant Falk on the top power play this year? always, right? For a defenseman who saw a 60% share of his team's power play time, Justin Falk only put up 10 power play points. We'll get some more on him in a minute, but it does at least make it feel like the door should be open, at least a crack for Dougie Hamilton to try and make his case to get there. Uh, That said, while Hamilton was the better five-on-five offensive defenseman, Falk still handled his power play role better for what it's worth. So I'm going to hope that Dougie at least gets a look on the top power play, because Uh, I am a hopeless romantic in terms of Dougie Hamilton and the top power play unit and I'm going to project him for 45 points which is a bit of a hedge for the case that Hamilton sees either zero 20 40 or 70 games as quarterback of the top power play unit I still believe in him though bottom line as a high-end offensive defenseman who just continues to have to vie to be the go-to guy on his team so yeah I'm going to land on Dougie at 45 uh, but his ceiling is much further away from that than his floor is
0: yeah brian i'm actually gonna question you on this i'm kind of curious because you were saying how for this whole second half of the season he produced like a 54 point pace and that wasn't with top power play right so what makes you say even though you're like you spent so much time talking about the power play but even without the power play he's shown that he can be better than a 45 point guy uh so but i guess you're just buying into the fact that that first half of the season should hold as much weight as the second half yeah,
1: I think the whole season picture gave us the most accurate picture. And in the second half, when he was on the 54-point pace, he was shooting a little more successfully than he should have. And his teammates might have been doing the same by a smidge. So I'm trying to regress for that. And 45, you know, it really does feel low. Hot take at 45 points. Dougie Hamilton still could be, still will be. If he gets 45 points, Dougie Hamilton is still going to be the highest scoring Carolina Hurricanes defenseman regardless of that top power play time uh so yeah 45 feels a a, a titch low uh so you know what I've, I'm gonna go up to 40 48
0: whoa I did yeah. it I convinced you
1: yeah I mean but it I, just it just feels right
0: okay well that, that sounds good but you know it also feels right being a little bit higher than you so I'll go 49 <laughs> uh and now let's go to Justin Falk who we just talked about while owning Hamilton may have been frustrating last season at times owning Falk would have been just what I expected. Actually, like if you were frustrated from owning Justin Falk last season, then you haven't been paying attention over the last few years because this guy just isn't the guy that we thought he was at one point he kind of reminds me brian of oliver ekman larson he had that one good season that a lot of people thought "Ooh, look ekman larson could be like a 50 plus point guy and then he just never did and brian you kept saying on the podcast i don't guys like i just don't think ekman larson is actually a 50 point plus guy and you kept on being right and people kept every season thinking anyways you know what i'm saying justin falk to me kind of the same thing last year 35 point pace exactly what uh, i projected actually last year in the almanac uh so yeah we thought that he was going to lose the top power play time didn't happen but like you said brian even without it or even with it he still only had 10 power play points to go with his 25 even strength contributions like hamilton falk still is valuable even as a mid-30s defenseman in terms of points he's still viable in fantasy because of his shots and his hits he actually blocked a career-high 121 shots last year he generally hasn't blocked much but i guess last year he decided to step in front of some pucks uh, at this point do you see any reason to ex- to expect falk ever to approach that high 40s pace that he teased us with in 2014 2015 2016 you know, there was a stretch there where he was in the high 40s for a couple of years seems like that's so long ago now
1: the way others have held a candle for oliver ekman larson while well, i've been like yeah no thanks uh, that's how i had held a candle previously for justin falk loving his shot volume loving his place in the carolina depth chart uh, but i think think I've recognized by now and I think I'd also recognized by last year that we just can't count on him to deliver as good like as much of a profile of an offensive defenseman he has uh he never quite fulfills the expectations we have as I just mentioned Falk had a paltry 10 power play points last year he put up second power play unit production from the first power play unit what a waste of the QB spot right I, like trying to think of other wasted spots around the NHL that's in competition for Nick Letty's spot uh, for the Islanders last season and like several of the last seasons. Anyway, um, just to put it into more perspective, I had a 43 defenseman who saw more than 150 minutes of power play time. Uh, Falk ranked 40th out of 43 in power play points per 60 minutes, which shows just how ineffective he was at picking up points with the time and deployment he was offered. Like, 10 power play, I can't get over this, 10 power play points from the top power play is so unheard of. Mind you, Falk did do his job of just throwing bombs on net as well as he ever has. Uh, His power play IPP was just dismal, down near 30% when it should usually be higher. Uh, He just wasn't getting assists when he normally would have in past years, maybe a function of his shots creating fewer rebounds as well. So, like, wasn't entirely, there there was some variance in him getting 10 power play points, but still, come on, Uh, I'd expect Falk to still do better. In 1920, and another full year of top power play deployment if he gets it, but um, he may never be quite as good again as he was for those couple years between 2014 and 16, and then again 1718 when he had some of his best power play production because of massive IPPs. Uh, Though I do think, by the way, if you don't know IPP, it's in our glossary on the spreadsheet, Uh, and if you don't want to check that quickly, uh, IPP is a measure of the percentage of goals that a player gets a point on. Uh, of the goals that are scored while he's on the ice. So if 10 goals are scored while a player's on the ice and he gets points on five of them, like the goal or an assist, uh, then he has a 50% IPP. Anyway, I think Falk's IPP could rise a little bit on the on the power play, but I do think the Carolina power play um, relied more on his shot before um, than they need to now with high-end talent like Ajo, uh, Teravainen, Niederreiter, all in the picture. And that's unfortunate for Justin Falk because he's not someone who's ever produced a whole lot at five on five. If his power play role does go down, his point totals are in the low twenties. Like that's been his best case scenario at five on five. So he needs that power play to work for him to be relevant. And even if he stays there, I'm not sure he's as relevant as he once was there. And if he falls off power play one, look out. Like you could be seeing a 30-point Falk that if your league doesn't care too much about shots on goal, is not even rosterable. If Falk does stay on the top power play all year, I expect him to poke his head back above 40 points. And I do think he's going to stay on that top unit more often than not. If they stuck with him all of last season, I could see them continuing to do that. So I'm going to give him just above 40 points. I'll give him 42
0: Oh boy. Okay. Uh, I'm not going to agree with you here, but I, I like your holding the candle for another year for him. 42 would be good two seasons in a row now he's been below 40 right like 35 points last year only 31 points in 76 games the year before so i'm definitely over it I- i'll put him at 35 same as he did last year but i'm not expecting him to get higher especially with the chance that he loses that top power play to account for the fact i know you say he had a low ipp and that might improve but at the same time he could also get worse deployment so uh give me 35 for falk and let's end up. Uh, but by the way by the everyone should obviously know that if you are deciding on one of our projections to go with for your fantasy draft you can either go with the average in our projection spreadsheet that all the almanac purchasers get, you'll have the average count or go with Brian. D- don't go with the Elon. That would be a strange strategy for sure. I disagree. Uh, the Elon is occasionally right. I would do the Brian or the average. That would be my that would be my strategy. Uh, <laughs> Why okay. are
1: you even projecting then? You're
0: well, just confusing people. I'm helping with the average. Oh, right. I have a 50% stake in that. Okay. uh, Jacob Slavin, let's end with him. Just wanted to quickly bring him up. He's clearly super valuable in real life, but he has been a pretty steady 30 point guy over the past three seasons. He did perk my interest for a short stretch last season when out of nowhere, he put up two goals and 11 assists for 13 points in 16 games between December 31st and February 5th. So there was like a one month stretch where Jacob Slavin was killing it in fantasy any chance that was a hint of some offensive potential that is yet to come out yet, or was it just a fluke? And do you feel the same about him as you have for the past couple of seasons? Like probably a 30 point guy.
1: Elon, it's Jacob Slavin, you know this, and an easy way to remember would be that Jacob was Slavin away at the end of last season. He averaged 26 and a half minutes per night down the stretch, which is beastly deployment for Slavin. That included a couple minutes of power play time, which yielded a couple power play points. Uh, His rate stats were up a bit. I feel just from watching that we're seeing a little more creativity from Slavin than we've seen in the past. So like, I could maybe... Yet with him raising his stock from a 30 point guy to like maybe a 35 point guy. Uh, But there's no imminent openings on that Carolina blue line with everyone still under contract through to at least the end of next season. um, In terms of Slavin getting like more deployment or something to help his production. Uh, But 25 year old Slavin is their longest present commitment uh, at defense or forward for the Carolina Hurricanes. So, Right now, no, like no extra fantasy value. But I wonder, Elon, if you're going, if he's going to get like a truba like edit as his career continues, if he does one day get the chance to prove his offensive worth. I just don't think that day is going to come next season or maybe even the one after.
0: Right. So, okay. So, what are we just going to give him 30 like he yeah. did last year? Okay, I'll do 30 as well. He had 31 pace last year, for what it's worth. Let's get him <laughs> around 30, 30 to 35. He's pretty, And also, he's good for peripherals, right? So he is worth owning in a deeper league, but yeah, hard to expect much upside. Maybe once Justin Falk is out of the picture, maybe all of a sudden Slavin gets a chance to get more offensive opportunities. Brian, let's finish up the Carolina chapter with the goaltenders. And of course, let's start with Petr Mrazek. Uh, while Robin Leonard and Darcy Kemper were all the rage last season as goalies who were turning their careers around, Petr Mrazek did so, like, maybe even more so. He went from being almost out out of the NHL to a solid starting goalie after his campaign with the Canes last season like if he would have stunk last year I don't think we'd be talking about Petr Murazic on any team this year like he he started his career strong we all remember like a 921 save percentage campaign for the Red Wings back in 2015-16 but then he struggled for the next couple of seasons and then when he got traded to Philly midway through 2017-18 uh, his save percentage fell below 900 he was just terrible then the Canes took a chance on him last season and it was hard to be optimistic about him going to Carolina a team that hadn't had a good goalie performance since cam ward like 15 years ago but to Mrazek's credit, he like overcame a rough start. He wasn't that good at the start, but he ended strong. Overall, he had a 9.14 save percentage, but that was propped up by a 9.43 save percentage over his last 11 games to help the Hurricanes get into the playoffs. Uh, Mrazek was then super inconsistent in the playoff run. So, Brian, I got to tell you, I'm still a little nervous about Mrazek. I know you really like him, just from talking about him on previous episodes and doing our various slow drafts leading up to this almanac recording. Like Carolina looks like they should be a really strong team next season, and I feel like a lot of people are excited about saying that Mrazic makes a really strong sleeper candidate. He can end up being the number one goalie like a, and a decent number one goalie based on those numbers last year on like a top 10, 15 team. So I definitely see a lot of upside there. But I think I'm going to need some convincing from you to get over, to like expect Mrazic to get over the hump and like really be like that valuable guy in fantasy all year round, especially since he only played 40 games last season, which isn't great for a goalie you want to depend on in fantasy. So he needs to get more games, uh, which means I guess probably as part of the Mrazic discussion, we also need to discuss James Reimer to get a sense of if we think Marazic can be a workhorse or if he's going to get challenged. So if you don't mind, maybe I'll just talk about Reimer as well. Is that okay? All right, you got... I'll go through all the goalies. All right. So... If you would have told me a year ago, by the way, if you would have told me a year ago that I would be saying that Petter Marazic could be due for a lot of games next season because his new backup James Reimer is no Curtis McElhenney, you would have probably revoked my almanacing license. You would have been like, this guy is high on something. But like, here we are. Like, the 31-year-old Reimer is coming off his worst season ever, where he barely stayed above the 900 save percentage mark in his 36 games for the Panthers. Still, Like, if you look over the last couple seasons, like three, four years, he's been a better goalie than Mrazek. And I wonder if maybe people are sleeping on James Reimer by only looking at last year for both goalies instead of the bigger picture. Then to complicate things even more, we do have this guy, Alex Nedeljkovic, who is at a top of uh, on top of a lot of people's top goalie prospect lists. He had a great season in Charlotte last year in the AHL. Uh, he got one game in the NHL last season. He stopped 24 of 26 shots versus Vancouver. So I guess we could talk about him as a potential Binnington candidate if, say, Mrazek or Reimer gets injured. But for now, yeah, Mrazek, I guess, is the main guy to talk about. And then Reimer as well. Do you see it being more of a 50-50 split? Is Mrazek the sure starter? And how confident are you that Morazic could be a top goalie in this league?
1: Yeah. So you're looking for reassurance on Peter Morazic and I'm sorry, I don't have that to offer you. Uh, you know, I've been a bit of a stand for Peter Morazic over the years back when he was in Detroit, just so mad the same way I was mad that Nicholas Cronwall would never get knocked off the top power play. Uh, I was mad that Morazic was never given a chance above Jimmy Howard, although Jimmy Howard has proved his worth uh, probably before and after that, uh, so I'm not going to go ahead and say that Mrazic never had his troubles. He has had his troubles, but he had a really good year last year too. Mrazik ranked eighth in the NHL in five-on-five save percentage amongst regular goalies. And that wasn't all just being protected by his team. He outperformed his expected numbers uh, and had a top 10 five-on-five goal saved above average rate that put him in line with guys we don't often second guess like Vasilevsky and Rene and Freddie Anderson. Sure, Murazik played 10 or 15 games less than those guys did, but you still need to give him his credit for performing uh, to a similar extent above the average NHL goalie the way those guys did. I actually think that Mrazic's 914 all-situation save percentage last year sells him short. It was dragged down due to a shorthanded save percentage that ranked towards the bottom of the league. And that's something that usually fluctuates year to year. Um, so I'm expecting that to recover to at least average next season. Mrazic's task is going to be holding up his five-on-five numbers while that happens. And yeah, I think he can do it. He, of course, hasn't given us a ton of reason to really put a whole lot of trust in him with his career record. Reimer, meanwhile, being in the picture, is someone who I thought was well-positioned to take Luongo's job and be Florida's guy for the future. That didn't pan out. Over three years and 123 games as a Panther, James Reimer's performance was exactly that of an average NHL goalie exactly so does Reimer have more in him and like that's still okay right that's still fine um but he's probably gonna need a little more in him to make his case to hold down that top job for very long he's probably a decent guy to push Mraz and can handle 25 30 starts maybe 35 40 if needed I've always liked Reimer and hope I'll take advantage of the opportunity if it arises uh, Caroline is funny though because like I want to say that if McElhaney and Morazic can succeed there, then why not James Reimer, right? Like, so forgetting what he did in Florida and forgetting his inconsistency, it's just like, well, like now uh, now Carolina can can resuscitate the careers of so many goalies, but that's such a that's such a 180 from their former reputation as a goalie graveyard where uh, Scott Darling and Eddie Lack are buried. So <laughs> where I see James Reimer for Carolina is a good plan B, but I think Morazic's upside is higher at this point Uh, As being both a guy, like in terms of both his save percentage and his status in the tandem being the 1A
0: guy. Yeah, that makes sense. Like, I don't think there's any question that you draft Morazic over Reimer. I guess as we go forward in the Almanac, we start comparing other, you know, potential starting goalies to Morazic, that's where we'll tease out, like, how high are we on him? Like, is he going to play you know, 40 games like he did last year to, you know, and Reimer will play like whatever, 38 or, you know, however that works out, or will it be more like 60 to 30? And, uh, you know, that's, I think, the bigger question. I think Morazic, it's his job and Reimer's coming in as the backup, but I could see him getting challenged. And we don't really have anything to project right now, but the plan and moving forward with the almanac as we bring up goalies we're gonna try our best to come up with a goalie ranking and yeah that that'll be interesting for sure so obviously right now we're gonna have morazic as our number one ranked goalie of all the goalies we've talked about then reimer we could throw uh, i guess let's not even include alex nadeljkovic no is...
1: I, I want to include him because i i oh. think there's a decent chance like reimer certainly has an injury history morazic has some and if Nadel, nadeljkovic gets up into the bigs, like there's a decent chance that whoever else is there between Mrazik and Reimer might be struggling and he might get a turn. So I think he's, he could very well get an opportunity to prove himself this year. So I, I think we should have him ranked as somebody who is still a goalie that in some of the deeper formats is worth taking a flyer on.
0: Okay, that's fair. So I'll leave him in the list. So right now we've got number one, R- Mrazik, number two, Reimer, number three, Medelkovic for next season, of course, in, in keeper leagues. You're obviously getting the Medelkovic a, a lot higher. But uh, there we go. And then as we move forward, we're going to try to rank all the other goalies as they come up. And we've got a fun goalie mechanism for that in case Brian and I disagree. But you'll hear about that in our next chapter, uh, which is the Columbus Blue Jackets, which we are going to start recording very soon. So thanks, everyone, for listening to the first chapter of the Almanac. If you purchased the Almanac, thank you so much. We've got a long ride ahead and we're excited to just keep going through this same exercise 31 more times if we're going to include the goalie chapter at the end. And if you're listening to the preview, I hope this will be enough to convince you to get in keeping slash almanac and i think we're gonna have a lot of fun i think it's gonna be a lot more of this brian this was great looking forward to doing this all again over in columbus
1: can't wait see you there